everybody's favorite astronaut, Buzz Aldrin, has a very limited wardrobe, it seems. I hadn't the faintest clue how deprived of variety it was until my latest reconnaissance mission in the Intelnet, which I just so happened to have completed a few minutes ago. You've probably seen the one where Buzzy Buzz Hush Lips rips open his jacket to expose a Get Your Ass to Mars t-shirt. Turns out it wasn't a one-time affair. He does it often. I've already shown you a few examples. He's obsessed with ripping his jacket open so as to expose the Get Your Ass to Mars shirt he wears underneath, like he were Superman or something. He's a serial offender. Buzz quite literally travels around the world photobombing people's family photo opportunities at Stonehenge and who knows how many other landmarks. And then in another one I am showing you, he hasn't ripped his jacket open quite yet, but you know, he wants to. His get your ass to Mars moment with Intel actor Arnold Schwarzenegger couldn't be any more self-evident as to what he's going for. It's a line from the 1990 Total Recall movie directed by the Dutch filmmaker Paul Verhoeven. Interestingly enough, Schwarzenegger gave his autobiography the same name, Total Recall, which I read cover to cover upon its release in 2012. It's still sitting on my bookshelf gaining dust. Perhaps it will come to some use to me yet. Who really knows? In that same year, 2012, there was another Total Recall movie, a remake. I haven't seen that one, and I'm told to avoid it like the university enrollment office. I hear it's a total waste of film. You should know then that I just so happened to watch the original Verhoeven film a couple of weeks ago, my very first viewing since probably the 90s. The simple reason is that I had some ideas as to what I should be looking for, the space hoax and the MK Ultra program being two of them. Well, it was there, the Millennial Kingdom. Verhoeven and company just threw it in there like some sort of backhanded compliment, seeing if I was paying attention, and I most certainly was. The problem, though, is that I figured I was reading too much into the script and that I was beginning to see Millennial Kingdom clues in places where the breadcrumbs had never actually been dropped. I even began to write this very paper, which I'm reading for you now, making it so far as the present paragraph, which would be the third before abandoning the entire thing based on the later premise. That is, until one thing led to another, and I accidentally stumbled upon Philip K. Dick's 1977 speech at the science fiction convention in France, the one where he spilled the beans on the Matrix and the multiverse, but used the Millennial Kingdom as the crutch for his entire argument. I wrote a paper on that, The First Mandela Effect. I read it probably a little over a week ago. You can find it on YouTube or my podcast. Mm -hmm. The year is 2084, and since, of course, I was born in 1980, I don't think I'm going to live to see that year, and Mars is colonized, another thing I'll, I will not live to see in this century. It's uh, colonized under a tyrannical government led by somebody named Vilos Kohagen. Using the cooperation of the media, sounds a lot like today in our own world, via the military-industrial complex to spread his propaganda. The brunt of his mission on the planet Mars seems to be the mining of valuable turbinium ore. For what purpose is not fully made known to us, at least it wasn't to me on my viewing, as it is only generally commented upon, though it appears to have some sort of military application, perhaps fuel for an energy generator, though I think the far more likelier case is that it's for an energy weapon, with the barrel being pointed upon the people. 
back on Earth, Schwarzenegger's character, Douglas Quaid, experiences reoccurring dreams about Mars and a mysterious woman who accompanies him on his journey. Right away, Philip K. Dick's worldview regarding alternate realities comes into play, particularly as it pertains to our dreams. Dreams act as a window into various other parallel worlds of the multiverse, glimpsing our lives in those places. And in that last video on Philip K. Dick, I talked about my own dreams, that I've had serial dreams about um, a life that I don't live here on this earth. Within these dreams, we may come to find the people whom we are intimately involved with in that version of reality, though they remain strangers in our own. Quaid's wife, Lori, played by Sharon Stone, and if I'm not mistaken, this was the first movie she played in. It was certainly the one that made her a, a celebrity. Well, Lori is insanely jealous of the woman from his dreams, agitated by his attraction to Mars as well. And though he plays him off as nothing to be concerned about, it is quite evident that Quaid is discontented with his life on the Earth. He wants something more than what the current circumstances offer him. If not for the woman from his dreams, a trip to Mars will do. And I might as well point this out now. It is quite evident that Quaid's wife is his controller. We are not expected to learn that little detail this early in the movie, but come on, with everything we've experienced throughout my catalog of work, it's so evident. Her very existence is intended to distract Quaid, keep him grounded within the confines of his assigned reality. We have another word for that. She is none other than his spiritual tear. The desire of the tear is to choke out and ultimately suffocate the wheat. While watching the television at breakfast, it is probably no coincidence that the news just so happens to feature a villainized account of the quote-unquote terrorist challenging the government on Mars. If, if I'm not mistaken, they use the word terrorist in the movie. Evidently, the propaganda intended either to scare Quaid or starve off his desires has little effect on him. Lori flips the channel to a serene scene from nature, probably in hopes of keeping him grounded. Nothing seems to work, because everyone in his life, including his construction colleague Harry, attempt to convince Quaid to avoid recall, a company advertised to Quaid on his commute to work, and which promises to implant realistic false memories. Among astronauts, that's probably how space travel is already accomplished, by the way. It wasn't simply the Apollo moon landings which were faked. Space is a hoax. And many accuse astronauts like Buzzy Buzz or the surviving astronauts of the Challenger space shuttle explosion in 1986 of lying. But I have long suspected mind implants to be a play. Do they know? Memory implants will most certainly be of use in the coming decades, supposing our controllers don't reboot everything that we know of the space program, at least the last, what, 70 years? And then there is the need for memory wipes, which we shall turn to in a moment. Even before the space race officially took off, science fiction authors like Ray Bradbury were already telling us how the PSYOP would be pulled off. It wasn't simply a matter of faking it for the masses. They would even convince the astronauts that their trip was a valid one. At any rate, if Quaid is incapable of physically journeying to Mars thanks in part to his controller wife and all the other controllers in his life, then the implanted memory of a falsification seems like the route to go. And of course, even Harry is a tear. Everyone in his life is there for one exclusive purpose, 
holding him back. But even that is not the whole of it. At recall, Quaid is persistent in planting false memories which might secure his vacation to Mars, even though the salesman is determined to take him to other better places in the cosmos. And then it happens, like some sort of suppressed reflex which overrides the programming, creating our sense of deja vu. The salesman is only capable of changing Quaid's mind when their latest false memory package is offered. This one involves the protagonist playing a Martian secret agent. And of course, the memory implant comes complete with the girl from his dreams. But then all hell breaks loose. The memory cannot even be implanted, or so we're led to believe, before Quaid lashes out, already believing himself to be a secret agent. The staff at Recall suspect somebody from Cohagen's regime has suppressed Quaid's memories, prompting them to erase any evidence that Quaid had visited them to begin with. On his return trip home, Quaid is attacked by Harry and three other men on the basis that he has overstepped his bounds and revealed his past. It was Harry's job to keep Quaid contained within his false reality, which is why it was so vital that Recall remain at arm's length. Well, it was too late. The Martian's secret agent memory had kicked in, and now there was a bounty out on his life. Against all odds, Quaid's suppressed instincts take over and he kills all of them like a pro. Back at home, Quaid is just as quickly assaulted by his wife, Lori, who, after being outwitted by Quaid, finally confesses at gunpoint what we already know, that she was assigned by the agency to monitor Quaid's every move, keeping him in check, making sure he behaved like a good boy, using bedroom antics to do it. Even their marriage was a sham. At best, her assignment was only several weeks old, despite Quaid's memories of a much longer-lasting matrimony. I think that part tripped me out more than any other aspect of the movie. That he had like this lifetime worth of memories that actually matched up with the last several weeks of his life. Her true husband was Richter, Cohagen's operative, a man currently tracking him. Before I forget, the scene which the Apollo 11 astronaut so often and obsessively refers to with his t-shirt campaign is one in which Arnold's character, Douglas Quaid, receives a suitcase from a man who claims to be Quaid's former acquaintance on Mars. The mystery man leaves it in a phone booth just outside of Quaid's apartment, which he is able to nab while on the run from Lori's husband, Richter. Within the suitcase is a video recording in which Quaid's doppelganger identifies himself as Hauser, an ally of Cohagen who defected after falling in love with a girl. According to Hauser, Recall was correct in their assessment. Cohagen was successful in suppressing his memories and reprogramming him. Hauser became Quaid. In doing so, they were able to conceal the secrets which Hauser had learned and which might otherwise threaten Cohagen's entire operation. Of course, Hauser only recorded the message because he knew, and he also knew his split psyche would need some help in the wake-up process. Also, in removing the tracking device planted in the whereabouts of his cranium, and it's a scene where he he, he shoves this mach- <laughs> it's a scene where he shoves like this thing up his nose and pulls out this big ball. It it's also where the famous line is delivered: "Get your ass to Mars." In fact, when Richter finally arrives at his location and shoots the joint up, the video recording of Hauser plays like a broken record, in which he repeatedly states, "Get your ass to Mars." get your ass to Mars, get your ass to Mars. The entire situation involving the split psyche screams 
of the Monarch Butterfly MK Ultra program, though the narrative hasn't even come close to unveiling the intricacies of it quite yet. And so you have to wonder why Buzz is so intent on promoting that scene. Does he see himself as the Quaid or Hauser character, or variably both? Perhaps he so desperately needs to get to Mars so that he can retrace his steps to the person he once was before the split psyche took control of him. That's not a good look for you, Buzz. Arriving on Mars, Quaid disguises himself as a woman in an attempt to evade Richter. It all goes according to plan until his costume malfunctions at customs. The complex and robotic mass begins to babble incoherently, and he is discovered. His escape is made possible due to the bomb planted in the animatronic's head, and also a guy named Benny. Benny comes across like a random taxi driver, coincidentally apprehending Quaid so that he can feed his wife and kids, but nothing is as meets the eye in Quaid's new reality. After receiving a note left in a safe box at his hotel by Hauser, Quaid's next stop is the Martian city of Venusville, a red-light district populated by humans as well as those mutated by air pollution and radiation. We come to learn that the government controls the air. It is for this reason that the people are rising up in rebellion. I wish they would in our realm as well. Anywho, his mission is to find the rebel base, which is also led by mutants, and to speak to their mysterious leader, Quato, who can supposedly unlock the secrets in Quaid's head. It is in Venusville that Quaid meets Melina, the woman from his dreams. Try not to overlook the fact that Hauser sent Quaid to Venusville to find her, seeing as how Melina is an agent working for the Rebellion and, in turn, capable of finding Quato. Though presently, Melina only recognizes Quaid as Hauser and, not knowing that he has defected or that his memory was wiped, believes he is still working for Cohagen. Their pairing is a bust, seeing as how Melina wants nothing to do with him, meeting adjourned. Back in his hotel room, Quaid is once again confronted by Lori, his wife. Only this time she brings with him a doctor, a doctor whom we also recognize as an actor from the recall commercials, the one that enticed the one that enticed Quaid to go on a vacation to Mars. Well, the doctor's explanation is that Quaid is still hooked up to the dream machine at recall, trapped in the fantasy. By this logic, the doctor is just a holographic illusion sent in to let him know of recall's screw-up. Lori has arrived at the recall office and is there as a loving and concerned wife to pull him back to reality. What Quaid needs is a prescription, a red pill which promises to wake him up into the real world. Despite pressing a gun to the doctor's head, a very conflicted Quaid might have gone through with it, ingested the red pill, that is, had it not been for the sweat he noticed dripping from the recall representative's head. He called his bluff. Quaid kills the doctor, though Richter quickly captures him, but then Melina arrives to rescue Quaid, and in a frantic scuffle, Quaid kills Lori. Quaid and Melina's escape to Venusville is once again due to the taxi driver, Benny. Melina has finally agreed to take Quaid to the rebel base, the only hiccup this time around being Benny, a third-wheel security hazard. Benny, however, shows himself to be a mutant, which then convinces Melina that he is a safe and welcome addition among the crew. At the rebel base, Quaid learns that their leader, Quato, is in fact a mutant growing out of the abdomen of his brother, George. Lovely. Quato is indeed capable of reading the lock safe within Quaid's mind. And here is the big reveal. 
Cohagen is hiding a 500,000-year-old alien reactor deep within the heart of the mountain that, once activated, produces free, breathable air for all. There it is. Substitute free air for free energy, and that is exactly what the government is holding back from us today. The alien part of the equation is just as disposable as its location, Mars. They're just stand-ins for the antiquitech of our own realm and the advanced beings who built them. Did I mention how the mutants were created from poor shielding against Mars' relatively high radiation levels? Had the government utilized the antiquitech capabilities from Mars' ancient residents, they wouldn't have mutated. There would be no high radiation levels within the environment. The government created the problem, and yet, the mutants are considered a degenerate class. They can't find employment. It's why they have been reduced to fortune tellers and prostitutes in the red light district. The kicker, of course, is that had Cohagen activated the free and breathable air, the turbinium used as a weapon against humanity would be destroyed, thereby ending the government's monopoly over both resources. Quato is barely capable of reading Quaid's mind before Benny shoots George, revealing himself to be under the employment of Cohagen. That would be the taxi driver. You see, with, with the tracking chip removed from Quaid's head, that would be the scene which Buzz refers to on his t-shirts, get your ass on Mars. Benny quickly became the backup plan. They needed to track him somehow. Why Benny didn't kill Quaid at an earlier hour had something to do with needing Hauser to lead Quaid to Molina and in turn, the rubble base in Quato. Well, Cohagen's soldiers attacked the base killing many of the rebels and all seems at loss, especially since Cohagen disables Venusville's air supply so as to slowly suffocate its mutant inhabitants, seeing as how he has gotten what he wants. Before George dies, the mutant inside of him implores Quaid to start the reactor. That would be the 500,000-year-old Antiquitech. The MK Ultra aspect of the narrative is fully revealed during Quaid's eventual confrontation with Cohagen. The video of Hauser, which Quaid received on the Earth, was not his full message. It continues on. Hauser, as it turns out, never defected from Cohagen. In fact, the two were close friends. Hauser volunteered to have his memory suppressed, his psyche split, essentially becoming his sleeping counterpart. Quaid was the Trojan horse. The entire operation was an elaborate ruse to bypass the mutant's psychic abilities, infiltrate the rebellion, and destroy it from within. Supposing Cohagen and Hauser's explanation is true, and I believe it to be so, then you might be asking why there were so many attempts on Quaid's life. Well, as I already mentioned, Benny never made an attempt on Quaid's life. And as it turns out, Cohagen was helping Quaid to survive all along, even against Richter's attempts on his life. It's all a part of the psychodramatic programming associated with Monarch Butterfly. The MK Ultra victim is tasked with defeating his handler through a series of psychodramatic exercises. And they do this on a worldwide stage as well through psychodramatic exercises. It's something that I've talked about frequently, that it's, it's actually real magic. As the victim struggles to survive and ultimately overcomes these psychodramatic exercises, the psyche is successfully split. His handler wins. He doesn't defeat the handler. The question should then be asked, how many quades are there in the world? 
tasked with infiltrating our own ranks with the knowledge they possess, thereby earning our trust. More on that thought in a moment. With the rebellion defeated, Cohagen orders Hauser's memories to be restored. And furthermore, at Hauser's former request that Melina be reprogrammed as his subservient lover, another monarch slave. And what do you know? No surprise, Quaid and Melina managed to escape, their destination being the underground mines where the reactor is hidden. Oh, and Benny tries to kill Quaid and Melina with a gigantic screw, an earth mover, by which Quaid delivers one of the movie's iconic one-liners, Hey, Benny, screw you. Mm-hmm, you guessed it. Benny gets screwed. Well, there it is, the stuff of ancient aliens. Substituting free air for Tesla's free energy, as espoused to mankind via the ether and Tartarian Antiquitech, is what stood out to me on my repeat viewing. As earlier mentioned, I backed away from making the connection with the Millennial Kingdom as having physically already happened until I stumbled upon Dick's speech at the 1977 science fiction convention in which he held the same sentiments. The grand conspiracy, according to Dick, revolves around the Millennial Kingdom. The short of the movie is that Richter is defeated and then Cohagen is defeated, both of whom are terminated at the hands of the governor. Actually, Cohagen gets blown out to the surface of Mars where his head expands and his eyeballs expand until he explodes. The same thing happens to Quaid and Melina, and they narrowly avoid the same fate. Fortune, however, favored them as they were capable of flipping on the reactor, which in turn melted the planet's ice core into a gas, which burst to the surface and created a breathable atmosphere, thereby saving the residents of Venusville. Let's not forget about them. Though it is indeed strange, when you stop to think about it, that the protagonist, Schwarzenegger's character, chooses to remain his programmed counterpart, Quaid, the split psyche. I mean, and thinking about it further, we don't even know the Hauser was the original individual. There might be any number of split psyches. Quaid doesn't really know who he was. He goes on as an MK Ultra personality, even if it's the good cop, bad cop routine. Even if in the good cop, bad cop routine, he goes on as the good cop. And I will remind you that even Melina remembers him to be the villainous Hauser originally. Unlike the media who sells lies while passing it off as the truth, Hollywood films love to show you the truth, but then convince you it was fiction all along. They're able to get away with it, mostly because the bulk of their narratives conclude the same. Happy ending. The government loses. Humanity wins. The conspiracy has been exposed. The intended takeaway of their confession is that had there been a conspiracy such as this one, in the case of Total Recall, Antiquitech capable of benefiting all of humanity, by which the government is suppressing so as to further enslave us via their energy weapons, it could not continue on without being exposed and ultimately defeated. That's how they get away with it.